0: Might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody.
1: Okay, we're going to be talking about dissociative identity disorder, which means multiple personalities. And for many people, this disorder um, is not real. Uh, a lot of people think that it's faking. A lot of people think that it's uh, that that this is just uh, a performance by somebody. But you know, to tell you the truth, at the least, what it is is a coping skill. But at the most, what it is is truly something that people that have multiple identities, uh, multiple personalities, they definitely do believe in these characters that they've created. And a lot of these characters oftentimes are one-dimensional. They may represent anger. They may represent uh, defensiveness. They may represent sexuality. They may represent certain facets of a person. And uh, oftentimes, these particular characters um, are used uh, because, and we'll talk about this later, a lot of the folks that actually experience multiple identity are uh, people that have experienced some kind of trauma in their life, and uh, many of them from childhood when they were absolutely out of control. And so these these uh, personalities uh, are very real to them, and these personalities take on uh, characteristics that they themselves do not have, or maybe if they do have, they're very light in, the, in a sense. So we have to look at this disorder very seriously because I, I myself have treated uh, several people at varying degrees of multiple personalities. But look, let's break down what this particular thing is. The dissociative identity disorder is what it's uh, actually called today. Formerly, it was, it was called multiple personality disorder. But this is a condition where a person's identity is basically fragmented into two or more distinct personalities. And sufferers of this rare condition are usually uh, victims of severe, severe abuse, like I said. Uh, DID is what is called dissociative identity disorder. It's a severe condition in which two or more distinct personalities or personality states are, being, uh, uh, are, are present. And alternately, uh, they take control of a person, and the person also experiences memory loss It's too extensive to be explained by ordinary forgetfulness and and This is also characterized by an identity fragmentation rather than a proliferation of separal, uh, separate personalities. so the disturbance is not due to the direct psychological effects of a substance or a medical condition yet this Once-rarely-reported disorder has become extremely common, and the diagnosis is very controversial. So some believe that because dissociative identity patients are easily hypnotized, that their symptoms are uh, etrogenetic, or they have risen in response to, uh, let's say, someone's suggestions, like a therapist. They also, uh, brain imaging studies, however, have corroborated identity transitions in some patients. So PID was called multiple personality disorder until 1994 when the name was changed to reflect a better understanding of the condition, namely that it is characterized by a fragmentation or a splintering of identity rather than a proliferation or growth or separate identity. So it comes out of that individual as a fragment and like they said, they're oftentimes one-dimensional. Many times, people have names for these personalities. Uh, They have writing that is extremely distinct. They have different voices. They have different words that they may never have heard in their own lifetime, but come forward in these personalities. You know, it it also, dissociative identity reflects a failure to uh, integrate various aspects of a person's own identity their own memory, and their own consciousness in a single individual. So it's, it's a primary identity, carries the individual's given name. They're, they're, they're a passive, dependent, guilty, and depressed oftentimes. And when in control, each personality state or alter ego may be uh, experienced as if it has a distinct history or a self-image and an identity. So it's like they're a real person. They're standing there, but they're in this other person's body, and the alter and the the, the characteristics that get altered, including name, age, gender, vocabulary, general knowledge, sexual preferences, uh, predominant mood, contrast those primary uh, to the person's primary uh, identity. Now, not always the sexuality will contrast the person's identity, but in certain circumstances, stressors can cause a particular alter. In, to emerge, and that alter personality comes out, responding basically to to a trigger, uh, heading back to the trauma in which they were created. So the various identities may deny knowledge of one another, or be critical of one another, or appear to be in open conflict within, with within one another, and that is something that we always see when we uh, work with people that have multiple personalities. Now, uh, this disorder started in Europe uh, during the late 1800s, and it gained attention at times, like uh, Eve in simple cases, and then fallen into a background. And then, you know, there's a lot of criticisms that come out of this because, uh, you know, theories have basically blown them off because they feel like there are responses, uh, once again, to the environment, and the person just can't deal with the environment, so they move themselves to a different personality. So, you know, the, 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 the DID, uh, multiple personality disorder, is among the most historic disorders dating back to the ancient forms of shamanism and demonic possession, and the idea uh, of multiple personalities is present in many cultures, but there are distinct differences. For example... Shamanism and demonic uh, possession are respected and practiced events in some cultures. There, there are also some similarities between cultures. The major similarity is that the individuals are more influenced by hypnosis and more able to enter a dream state because of their ability to basically dissociate. So, even with some similarities, the suggestion is that it is not cross-cultural, and it also raises one of the major criticisms that multiple personalities, uh, dissociative identity, the criticism is that others uh, are feeling uh, sorry for them or trying to uh, get what they want, and so basically the therapist, if they're seeing the person, can help to mold the patient into acting like they have multiple personalities by encouraging it, and that's not what you want to do. Uh, the other general feeling is that borderline personalities and schizophrenics often identify with uh, separate personalities. Now, schizophrenics in particular often have a ver- very religious, uh, uh, I'm, I'm the devil, or I am Jesus, or I am God. They often go into uh, religiosity when they go into their alter egos, um, because uh, they their brain is a little bit more one-dimensional in itself, meaning that it's black and white. And so, Devil and Jesus and and God and uh, Muhammad or whatever—they're all very very black and white figures in their mind. You know, the the question is uh, as to whether uh, the most cases of multiple personality disorder are really another condition altogether. You know, it's a diagnosed with less like, less ac- accuracy than phrenia, and uh, the two are very confused frequently. And uh, you know, the, could this be? Because one mistaken is is one mistaken for the other, or because professionals in the field are skeptical about multiple personalities, there's been surveys, and, and uh, that 24 percent uh, of most professionals are very skeptical, and skepticism is is basically doubting. Even though doubt is sometimes good in excess, it can be very detrimental. And and also in these studies, they found that skepticism and knowledge of multiple personalities are very inversely related, and the correlation was mild, and there was a low response rate to the questionnaire also, so that has to be noted, and that's in several of the studies where they got a very small uh, pool of people to respond. You know, so in looking at that, we have to look at what are the symptoms. Well, the individual basically experiences two or more distinct identities or personality states and each in its own enduring pattern of perceiving the world, relating to the world, thinking about the environment, and themselves. And also, the range of identities is from uh, uh, two more than 100. So, half of the reported cases include individuals with 10 or fewer. But I've known folks that have had multiple identities ranging in the 70s to the 80s. And uh, particularly, identities may emerge in certain uh, specific circumstances. So, they're that, that a coping skill uh, dating back to a trauma that was experienced. And so, that, that's oftentimes what we're looking at. Also, the alternative identities are experienced as taking control in sequence uh, one at the expense of the other, and they may deny knowledge of the other or be critical of the other or appear to be an open conflict. So transitions from one identity to another are often triggered by psychosocial stress. Also, uh, there are gaps found in memories of uh, personal history, including people, places, events, for both the, the distant and the recent past. So different alters may remember different events, but passive identities tend to have more limited memories, whereas the hostile, controlling, protective identities have more complete memories. And so the deal is what you want to do is try to bring forward, okay, what is going on and what are the memories of these particular people? Because if you can merge all those memories into one person, what you sometimes have is the lack of need... those identities, and so what you want to do is kind of blend those personalities when you're treating. So, the symptoms of depression, anxiety, passivity, dependence, guilt is often present in the primary person that carries these identities. Also, in childhood, uh, there's usually problem behavior, Uh, there's an inability to focus in school, which is very common. They're also self destructive and their uh, uh, or aggressive behavior may often take place. Also, visual or auditory hallucinations often occur. And the average time that elapses from the first symptom to diagnosis is six to seven years. So, the disturbance is not due to the direct psychological effects of the substance or a medical condition, once again. So, multiple personality patients often have a very remarkable array of symptoms that can resemble other neurological and psychiatric disorders such as anxiety, personality, schizophrenic, mood psychosis, seizure disorders. And most have symptoms of depression, manifestations of anxiety like sweating, uh, rapid pulse, palpitations, phobias. They usually have physical symptoms like uh, severe headaches or body pain. They also have panic attacks and uh, physical symptoms like sexual dysfunction, like eating disorders, like post-traumatic stress. And many have suicidal uh, preoccupations, and attempts are common, as are the uh, the episodes of uh, self-immunization. And most of the time, these dissociative symptoms come with amnesia. Like in uh, multiple personality, it's marked by gaps in the the patient's memory. Also, depersonalization, which is a dissociative symptom... Which the patient basically feels that their body is unreal, is changing, is dissolving, and uh, also uh, derealization, which the patient perceives external environment as real, and they may see walls, buildings, and other objects as changing in shape, size, color. And I know this all sounds crazy, guys, but uh, you know they also may fail to recognize relatives and even close friends. And also, they also have very many identity disturbances, which result from them having split off entire personality traits or characteristics as well as memories. So when a stressful or a traumatic experience triggers the reemergence of this associated pairs, this patient, this client switches and usually within seconds into an alternate personality. So that's talking about the symptoms and, and why uh, a client would go this way is where we want to go and the causes. Well, you know, as I've said earlier, some people develop dissociative identity. It's not really understood, but they frequently report having experienced uh, severe physical and sexual abuse uh, during childhood. And that's the most common thing that you hear uh, when a person comes in and identifies the fact that they have multiple personalities. So, so though the accuracy of such accounts is, is oftentimes by different people are often confirmed by objective evidence. So, you know, individuals with dissociative identity may also have post-traumatic symptoms and this is what you often see when you're treating, which is nightmares, flashbacks, and startle responses or they actually have the full-blown PTSD disorder. Several studies also have suggested that the dissociative identity is more common amongst uh, close biological relatives of persons who also have disorder uh, than in the general population. So they come in a family. You know, this is very rarely reported, and the diagnosis has become extremely controversial, but some actually believe that because dissociative identity are highly suggestible, their symptoms are at least partly uh, within themselves, prompted by a therapist or prompted by friends that are probing or parents. And so, uh, you know even brain studies have actually shown that a person has switched their identity. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go back into causes. We're going to break this disorder down. We're going to talk about myths, and then we're going to talk about living with it and treating. Thanks for listening.
2: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit DRGBMFT.com. Or visit drgbmft.com today.
1: We're talking about dissociative identity disorder, multiple personalities, and uh, you know basically what happens when a person has multiple personalities is they get triggered by stress, and it's an overwhelming stress. Um, the holidays can be extremely tricky for people like this because stress can come from individuals that they haven't seen for a while. It could come from going back to places in their childhood, having to identify with their siblings, having to deal with uh, uh, certain interactions or certain personality types that they have to deal with. And so um, basically, the person goes into different personalities during that time, and this can be very embarrassing and very hard for them because they don't remember oftentimes when that personality takes over, and they have a hard time taking responsibility for what's been said or done by that personality. Also, uh, dissociative capacity, which includes uh, the ability to uncouple a person's memories and their perceptions and their identity from conscious awareness is an issue. So, you know, there's an enlistment of steps in normal development process that defenses during childhood and the lack of of sufficient nurturing, compassion, and responsible to hurtful experiences or lack of protection against uh, overwhelming experiences. These children are not born with a sense of a unified identity, but rather it develops from many sources and many experiences. Now, if you look at uh, children – and babies, the first thing that they evaluate when they're born is, am I safe? And if it's am I safe and it's not safe, the baby begins to develop ways to cope with that. And so the baby will, uh, the, the little human being will deform, will create defense mechanisms as they grow up to make themselves feel safe. You know, and overwhelmed children, its development is obstructed. And many parts of what should have blended into a relatively unified identity remain separate. You know, uh, y- you call that uh, freezing, basically. They they go back and they go back to certain stages or certain places in their childhood and they just stay there. And so these, pers- these personalities oftentimes just sit back in that place in their childhood and stay in that developmental stage. So when they come forward, they come forward once again, not in the same age, not in the same brain as the person that they're representing. And so it's a very scary thing for the people that have it and the people that see it. You know, because it comes out of nowhere for many people. You know, North American studies have showed that 97 to 98% of adults with dissociative identity report being abused during childhood, and I cannot tell you one case that I've treated where some kind of traumatic abuse in childhood did not occur. Also, in current uh, research, they say it's about 1% of the general population and perhaps as many as 5 to 20% of people in uh, psychiatric hospitals. And so, you know, the incident rates are even higher among sexual abuse survivors and individuals with chemical dependencies. So, you know, uh, the, the statistics about dis- uh, dissociative identity disorder and multiple personality disorder, basically the same category as schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, they they they're kind of held in that basket of treatment, and also the the thing about a schizophrenic is that's an organic disorder, meaning that uh, in men it usually starts somewhere around as a full blown blossom somewhere around eighteen, and with women uh, schizophrenia usually blossoms somewhere around twenty eight. So here you know here's a breakdown. You know, the splitting off of a group of a mental processes from the main body of consciousness, such as amnesia. They have a, an act of separating a state or being separated, and the separation is into two or more fragments. So, you know, it's technically a defense mechanism. We separate our, uh, out of our memory things that we don't want or can't deal with. The trauma, like abuse or rape, that's helpful at the time to be able to disassociate because we have no way of coping. And so, if dissociation becomes your major defense mechanism, it can become a full-blown disorder, which is very intense uh, uh, because you become outside of yourself. You, you, You start to blow memories out of your brain and just storm away and you don't know why you're reacting to the environment the way you're reacting. Also, you know, we can get trained to disassociate and use it against ourselves. So, disassociation is when we separate from our awarenesses, our details of an event. And this happens with uh, in, uh, dangerous men as early as the first date when we choose not to pay attention to our screaming red flags. We are dissociating their messages away from our awareness because we truly became aware we might we might uh, ditch him early on or we don't feel safe with that individual and if that person is showing to be somebody you don't want to be with you become afraid and you disassociate your memories during let's say a date with a person that may be dangerous also um, you know if you just grew up in a, uh, a dysfunctional abusive addictive or a violent home You know, that's because children can easily get overwhelmed and check out and dissociate. That is what children do uh, because they can't handle what's going on. So if you never learned adult coping skills, then it's likely you'll use the ones you do know, which come from childhood. And that's where dissociative identity disorder tends to find itself. And if your primary ones... Uh, your coping skills are dissociation, and you're probably using that now and probably it's gotten you into a lot of trouble in your patterns of a relationship selection because you can't be trusted because you can't remember. And after a while, you don't even know you're dissociating. You know, it's it's just automatic. So you can disassociate away a lot of important stuff early on like uh, discrepancies in stories, uh, his not-so-nice words or her not-so-nice words. Uh, their tonality and voice, their behaviors that should cause you concern, but you don't respond to them. So that means disassociation is there. And anytime we separate a memory from all its components, you are disassociating from the complete or whole memory, which is why remembering all the relationship issues are important. Now, Let's talk about crisis. When we deal with crisis, it's very important to gather a group of individuals that have experienced a trauma together to try to recover the memory because most people will find a way of disassociating. Once again, this is what children often do. And so when they do that, they disassociate and they only remember certain parts, which are the parts that make them survive. So if it has to do with an auditory event, uh, maybe their auditory becomes extremely strong, but their visual memory becomes very poor. And maybe even their uh, uh, tactile or their olfactory, which is their smelling, tactile is touching. All those happen to be uh, unplugged, and those memories go away. So when you get a group of people together, they're going to remember an event differently. So each of them piece the story together, and what you gather is not a dissociative memory, but a true memory. It may not be all factual, but what you do is you have something that people can grab onto where they do not disassociate as badly. You know, sometimes uh, people can disassociate or fragment off the meaning or the motive or the intent as well. And this can be very frustrating. So they use all your memory and your response. It, it is You mean well or you just don't know how to handle something. Uh, many people will go on a credit card binge and spin, spin, spin. And that's a disassociation, basically meaning that they don't have to pay it. Uh, like people in Vegas that will use tokens instead of money. They disassociate what they're doing, and they become extremely entrapped in debt by lose, 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 lose. Also, uh, people describe dissociation as numbing or a spacey feeling, and they don't either. Uh, they don't uh, feel something, or they're too spaced out to do much about it. And in the middle of a traumatic event, spacing out and numbing is a good thing to in their mind because they it, it has made them safe before, even as adults. You know, there are times for uh, therapeutic disassociation, like a root canal. You know, who wants to be present for that or aware for that? But the problem is, is that dissociation becomes largely unmanaged and we don't know when we do it. And so using that coping skill can be extremely dangerous and rob us of our ability to be aware and tune, and vigilant and have that intuition that we need in all of our life to be fully present. Okay, so you know, back, look back over your childhood for patterns of disassociation. Look back over your adult relationships and see how influenced your choices were by disassociation. Look at your life today for signs of when you checked out and became aware. Or you drifted off or you stuffed feelings at the speed of light so you don't have to make a decision about something. These are all aspects of disassociation. So while it might have uh, uh, helped you at a time of trauma because you didn't know what else to do, Uh, In your adult life, you need to be fully aware, you need to be healthy, strong, and your coping skills need to be that of taking life's problems head on and having faith that good things will come out of it. So the treatment, you know, dissociative uh, disorders are uh, responsive to individual psychotherapy. And the problem is some of these uh, dissociative disorders, uh, some of these personality types can be criminal. Uh, Some of these personality types can be psychopathic. Some of these personality types can be highly sexual and turned on by a completely different person. And they actually can get themselves pregnant. They can get themselves into horrible situations. Some of them can be very violent. Um, you know, uh, this is what we have to look for. What we have to look for in therapy and why we treat these particular disorders. Um, talk therapy is the most common. As uh, also, there's another range: uh, hypnotherapy, uh, adjunctive therapies like art or movement therapy, and the reason these are used, much like uh, with children. Those kind of treatments can bring out some of the personalities from the younger years, which is where a lot of the roots are. So sometimes you use play therapy or something like that to work with a client to bring forward some of those younger uh, personalities. You know, treatment is also, uh, you know, looking at to relieve symptoms. So we want to ensure the safety and reconnect the different identities into one well-functioning person. That is the goal. You want to blend them all into one person. You know, there are, however, uh, other equally respected treatment modalities, and I've used this before, where you actually work with a person and instead of taking those personalities away, some of those personalities are very constructive and they develop what's called a consultative relationship with those personalities where they consult them in certain situations, but it's more of a conscious rather than a subconscious behavior. It's less of a dissociation and more of a relationship where they're, actually working with those children, working with these adults in their head to try to get a different view on uh, something and get insight so they can communicate with a person that may be in trouble or may, may need some help. And that can be very helpful for some of these folks. You know, psychotherapy is designed to encourage communication of conflicts and insight into problems. So what you're trying to do is break down the fear of conflict. And that, by doing that, what you're able to do is begin to blend the personalities, the coping skills that are needed for those personalities and develop true coping skills that replace the personality with something adult-like and healthy Mm -hmm. in the individual that you're treating. Um, Also... Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and this focuses on changing dysfunctional thinking patterns. You know, medication to treat the uh, dissociative disorders themselves is not available. However, a person with the dissociative disorder who also suffers from depression and anxiety often benefits from the treatment of an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medicine. So sometimes in working with a person, because often depression and anxiety come with it, then we can get a better uh, outcome in therapy when they're treating that depression because you're treating you're treating something that's bigger the umbrella over the depression which may be causing some of it. Also, family uh, therapy is very good because it educates the family about the disorder and the causes, and it helps the family members recognize symptoms of the and also memory and be able to uh, accept the fact that a person is going through these coping skills. Uh, also, clinical hypnosis, not stage hypnosis, where you stand on stage and act like a chicken. I'm talking about clinical hypnosis, and this is a very intense relaxation, concentration, and a focused attention to achieve basically an altered state of consciousness or awareness. So, the hypnosis may help patients recover uh, repressed ideas and memories, and also Hypnosis can be used to control problematic behaviors that many multiple personality patients exhibit, such as uh, self-mutilation, eating disorders, bulimia. But you want to have a medical doctor accommodating uh, this uh, type of treatment. And it's also good if there is a talk therapy. You want to have a doctor also engaged in that process, especially if bulimia is involved or an eating disorder is involved. And then there's behavioral therapy. And this involves... Basically, operant conditioning techniques like uh, a patient or a client may be uh, addressed and responded to only in a single name. So, basically, the therapist may refuse to speak with the patient as if they are a different sex, age, person that initially presented. So, as the patient begins to respond more consistently to a single name and speak in first person, more traditional therapy for trauma may begin at that point because we're refusing to recognize those personality states. That can happen, but usually that happens better with people who have fewer personalities. So, you know, there's myths. There's a lot of myths. And uh, let's look at number one. You know, it's safe to say that most of what we know about dissociative identity disorder is either exaggerated or flat out false. You know, people say that it is rare. Well, studies show that in the general population, one to three percent, and this is of the world, by the way, fully meet the criteria for dissociative identity disorder and this makes the disorder as common as bipolar or schizophrenia and the rates in the clinical populations are even higher uh, and once again like I said if, if, if they're in a, a treatment facility you're going to find a lot more of these type of folks you know it's obvious when someone has DID that's a myth um, you know sensationalism basically sells so it's not surprising that depictions of dissociative identity disorder in movies and tv are very exaggerated you know the more bizarre the portrayal the more it fascinates and tempts viewers to tune in also overstated portrayals make it obvious that a person has dissociative identity but it that identity is much more subtle Uh, Than any of the Hollywood portrayals. In fact, people with dissociative identity spend an average of seven years in the mental health system before even being diagnosed. And that's how many therapists just miss it. They just miss it. They also uh, have distinct personalities. Well, that's a myth. That is a myth. Instead of distinct personalities, most of them have different states basically as having different ways of being themselves, which is all to do to some extent with people with dissociative identity cannot always recall what they do or say when they're in those states, and they act quite differently in those states. They're very one-dimensional most of the time. All right, we're going into a quick break. We're going to go down into some more myths, and then we're going to talk about how to live with it, and we're going to go on into uh, some famous cases.
2: us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment
0: do you like what you're hearing on the show today dr gary bell wants to help you no matter where you are he's fast efficient effective and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions if you're ready to change right now drop everything and call or text dr bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com.
2: The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow
0: us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back. Okay, we're talking about dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder. And uh, we're talking about some of the myths about this particular disorder. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, people will say that treatment makes it worse. Well, yeah, you know, if you're going to get a crappy therapist that's never done anything to do with this particular disorder, that person should be very upfront and honest with you that they've never treated it because many people don't even know what it looks like. And uh, so it's very important to understand that a person that has multiple personalities has a very complex treatment strategy involved with it. And there's training that people need to have to do it. So if you're going to be a therapist and you're going to treat dissociative identity, you need to be perfectly honest with your client because you may actually hurt them more than help them uh, if you agree to treat. And if you do treat and you've never studied, you need to study. You need to get into it and you need to try to figure it out because not all techniques work. So, you know, it's very important that we are ethical. We therapists are very ethical and psychologists when we treat a particular disorder, and that is that we have treated it before. And so if you're a patient, you always want to ask questions of the therapist and see if they've ever treated it before. Also, uh, you know, there's another myth, which is therapists uh, further develop and uh, refi, basically charge uh, the cell states. And that's possible, but it's not necessarily the truth. You know, it, it's it's uh, interesting that when you hit coping certain parts of trauma, it's it's very common for a person in therapy to, to trip off into one of their personality types, which is a coping skill. And so, yes, it is going to trigger some of that. It may uh, – that person that may pop out. Uh, may not have been there for a long long time and so it can uh, re-traumatize but hopefully the therapy and the treatment can blend that personality to where that coping skill of that other personality type coming out uh, doesn't need to happen also uh, only people with uh, dissociative identity uh, disassociate that's another myth you know people disassociate in response to trauma whether it's overwhelming situations such as intense pain, anxiety so individuals with other disorders such as anxiety, PTSD, they also disassociate, you know, and so we have to understand that, that that's also a part of people's lives. They do that in, in very small pockets. It's the problem is when the disassociation becomes pervasive and becomes the main coping skill. And uh, also, uh, the, there's another myth that hypnosis, and by the way, I'm not a hypnotic therapist. I've never practiced hypnotic therapy. I've never taken any classes on it, so I don't know a whole lot about it. But hypnosis, it, this is a myth that hypnosis is used to access or explore hidden memories. You know, some therapists used to believe that hypnosis could help clients retrieve accurate memories, like memories of abuse. But now that, you know, there's been a lot of research that's shown that experiences recalled under hypnosis can feel very true, even though the person never experienced those events. So, you know, all the reputable professional associations that provide training in hypnosis, like, you know, that educate therapists that they should never use hypnosis to try to facilitate the recall of memory, not a good idea, not a good idea. Okay, so, you know, living with uh, dissociative identity uh, is a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing. People with multiple personalities, it's a very si- serious, it's a very complicated condition and it's characterized basically, like we said, two or more separate personalities. And they're fairly distinct, one-dimensional personality with one single person holding these personalities within themselves. So, the number one, if, if you have DID, recognize the nature of your illness. You are a single, whole individual with different identities, each identity or alter ego is your own even if you feel that you have no control over those people recognize the basic fact will give you a sense of personal identity and it'll help you learn how to manage your condition so that's extremely important is to own the fact that you yourself have multiple identities also you want to identify the cause You know, by identifying the cause, we can reconstruct the the coping skills. So, you know, DID, uh, dissociative identity, is most common in in women, yet it's it's almost always connected to childhood trauma, often in the form of brutal or sustained abuse. And as painful and difficult as the process might be, understanding the cause of your disassociation may help you heal. Also, you need to accept that your alters are real, at least for the time being, because you have no other coping skill. So, others may tell you that your altars don't exist, that you created them yourself, uh, and to a certain extent, this is true, but they are also aspects of your own personality, not independent people. However, if you're living with DID, these altars feel very real, and for the time being, it may be best to acknowledge their apparent reality and learn to cope with their existence. Also, you want to expect to experience amnesia. Therefore, when you have amnesia, you don't get traumatized by the fact that you have amnesia. You know, if you have dissociative identity, you may have two kinds of amnesia. First, you may have forgotten or blocked out a painful or traumatic life experiences. And recall that many people with dissociative identity had such experiences as children. You know, second, you uh, may develop amnesia and a sense of lost time whenever one of your alters takes over your consciousness. Accept that. And you also need to know that you experience uh, a fugue states because your alters may also take over any given time. So you may find yourself away from home, unsure of where you are and how you got there. So this is called a dissociative fugue. And uh, people with Alzheimer's and, uh, often t- and dementia often drift away and don't even know. And you, you also understand that depression is common. And this is something you want to accept, that it's very common in people with dissociative identity. So, if you have that, you may experience symptoms of depression like disturbed sleep, appetite, sadness, some cases suicidal thoughts. Also, be aware that anxiety is also common in people with dissociative identity. So, you may also experience symptoms of anxiety or even panic attacks. You may notice that you feel very worried, uh, sometimes without understanding why. And that's because you're trying to control feelings. And people with dissociative identity often don't have a very good vocabulary of emotions. Um, And that's why they depend on these alternate egos to come forward. Also, look for mental health symptoms. You know, in in, in addition to amnesia, uh, fugue states, depression, anxiety, you may also notice that psychological symptoms like mood swings, for example, and a sense of numbness, a detachment from reality may be taking place and you all you definitely need to watch for auditory hallucinations and those are commands usually people commanding you in your brain to do something so you think you're hearing voices which may uh, cry or, or comment or criticize or threaten and you may or may not understand it at first but that these voices are coming from inside your head and you need to accept that it's very important It's very important that you also find an experienced therapist and you be persistent. You know, on average, it takes about seven years to get a diagnosis of a dissociative identity disorder. And this is both because many clinicians don't fully understand it and because the dissociative symptoms are not always immediately obvious, while the more common symptoms, depression, anxiety and the like, mask the root problem, and so those get treated without really treating the coping skills. So once you get a diagnosis, you will also have to be persistent about pursuing treatment. If the therapist does not seem to understand or listen to you, find a new one. If one treatment does not seem to work, try something else. You know, that's what you need to do. All therapists are different. They come from different backgrounds. They have different modalities. And you need to click with that person. But not only you got to click, you got to find somebody that can really move and help heal you. Also, you want to try to comply with their instructions. If they're an experienced therapist, you really want to form a, a good relationship with them where you trust them, where you listen to them and comply with them. Because if they know how to treat it, they're going to guide you and they're not there to hurt you. Um... You know, also, you want to, uh, if you're taking prescribed medications for depression or anxiety or mood swings, take the medication. Don't try to forget it. You need to take it. You need to take it because that is a very serious component, uh, component of treatment, you know, um, Also, you want to take uh, preventative uh, measures. You want to plan for disassociation. Remember that your alters may take over any time. So depending on specific circumstances, one or more of these alters may be children and may become otherwise unaware of where they should go. So you want to be prepared. Keep paper with your name, address, telephone number, along with the contact information for your therapist and at least one good friend at your home. At your workplace, at your car, and keep important records in a single place in your home and tell loved ones where the place is. Very important. If you do not have, uh, if you disassociate often, not even often, if you disassociate at all, you need to have those records uh, there with you wherever you go and people to be aware of where those records are. Okay. So, uh, you know, you know, it, it, with uh, people, they sometimes need tools when they disassociate. So, uh, what what's important is that you want to uh, have uh, flashbacks. Uh, if you're going to have flashbacks of bad memories, remember that that is a healing thing. That is something that's going to help you. You want to grab on that memory and try to help yourself. So, you know, if you if you here's some real strong tips. You know, because if you think about it. You know, if you're trying to handle a job with a dissociative identity, you you have to choose the right job. You know, every individual is different. But if you have dissociative identity, your condition will certainly affect your ability to work. So what kind of job is right for you? Well, it depends on how cooperative and collaborative your alters are. So you want to consult with them and uh, try to understand, hey, are they going to participate? You also have to make uh, coworkers aware of your condition It's your decision whether or not to share your diagnosis with coworkers, but if your DID is managed well and does not typically interfere in the work life, you may not have to. But if, however, your boss or coworker become confused, annoyed, or dissatisfied with your performance for reasons related to your condition, it may be helpful to explain it. Also, uh, you want to manage your work-related stress because stress is the main ingredient for what brings these personalities forward. And you also want to know the law and then in, uh, the interest of people who are disabled. A Dissociative identity can be a disabling uh, disorder. So you want to explore that and understand that if you have a job, you know. And if you have tried to hold a job but cannot work because of your condition, you may be qualified for disability. You know, it's a frightening upsetting and often misunderstood condition and it's normal to feel overwhelmed and so uh, you know you really want to explore and you also want a support system and if you can find one online or with other people that's a great thing now here's some famous cases you know um, in 1979 there's a 24 year old Juanita Maxwell was working as a hotel maid in uh, Fort Myers Florida in March that year 72-year-old hotel guest, Inez Kelly, was brutally murdered. She was bitten, beaten, uh, choked to death, and Maxwell was arrested because she had blood on her shoes and a scratch on her face, and she claimed she had no idea what happened. But while waiting trial, she saw a psychiatrist, and when she went to trial, she pleaded not guilty because she had multiple personalities. She had six personalities beside her own, and one of the dominant personalities, Wanda Weston, committed the murder. But at her trial, the defense team, though— uh, the use of a social worker drew Wanda out on the stand. And the judge thought the transformation was quite remarkable. So uh, Juanita was very soft-spoken, but Wanda was boisterous and flirtatious and liked violence. And so she laughed when she admitted to beating the senior citizen with a lamp over a disagreement about a pin. So the judge was convinced that she either had multiple personalities or deserved an Academy Award. So Maxwell was sent to a psychiatric hospital where she says she did not get proper treatment and simply received tranquilizer. She was released, but in 88, she was again arrested for robbing two banks. And she again claimed Wanda did it and the pressure outside was too much and Wanda had taken over again. So she pleaded no contest and was released from prison for time served. So that's one famous case. You know, uh, Chris Costner Sizemore, Uh, remembered that her personality split when she was about two years old. She saw a man pulled out of a ditch and thought he was dead. During the shocking event, she saw another little girl watching. Unlike many other uh, people diagnosed with dissociative, she didn't suffer from childhood abuse, and she came from a loving home. However, from seeing that event um, and and, uh, a, a factory accident later, she claimed that she started acting strange, and family members noticed And um, she would often get into trouble for things she had no memory doing. So she sought help help after the birth of her first daughter when she was in the early 20s. And one day, one of her personalities, known as Eve Black, tried to strangle the baby. And uh, Eve White, the other personality, actually stopped her. And so, you know, this is another famous story. And they, they go on and on and on. All right. That's our show. Our next show is Trump versus Hillary, The Aftermath. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, the good thing about multiple personalities is you never get lonely. And also, people with multiple personalities should donate one to people who have none. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.